0: With Tziata Nishmaya, let's continue to understand, basically, women and Tefila. What are we saying? What, what do we know that we're saying uh, when we pray and we dive to the king of kings, to the creator of the world? So now let's continue here in our lessons and let's discuss here um, the women, the great builders. So we pray for our needs, both physical and spiritual. Our physical needs are the desire to live now, to live tomorrow, and to live in the more distant future. Hazal label these categories as life, sustenance, and children. So life is perhaps the category we take most for granted. What does it mean to us that we are alive? Rav Shlomo Wolbe uh, suggests a simple experiment. Find a relaxing moment. Take a a stethoscope and listen to your heartbeat for five minutes. Reflect on how this extraordinary muscle is given to you at birth, grows with you, and faithfully pumps blood throughout your body for 120 years without well missing a beat. So it may occur to you what a miraculous gift of God the heart is. So Hazal has given us a series of tefilot and brachot to remind us how not to take life and health for granted. For example, every morning of our lives, our first moment of consciousness is accompanied with modayanim, a grateful. A gratefully thank you. It's a declaration of gratitude to Hashem for restoring our souls and granting us another day of life. And as our day ebbs away, our last request is, and I, Ben Ishan Hamavis, and may you illuminate my eyes lest I die in my sleep. So every time we step out of the bathroom, we say, Berkat a blessing that celebrates the infinite genius of the human body and which impels us to reflect how the slightest bodily dysfunction could incapacitate us. And let's hope that we never have to learn the hard way about the indispensability of life and good health. Let the living take to heart the tragedies of others. We should remind ourselves of what it means to be alive after having paid a shiva call, or perhaps more poignantly after having visited a, a, a children's cancer ward. Let's never forget that our most basic need is life itself. So our second need is sustenance, the need to live tomorrow. This includes all our necessities for day-to-day life, such as employment, clothing, and shelter. For many people, this category consumes a disproportionate amount of their tefillot, or even worse, it becomes an obsession. The Talmud observes, those foolish Babylonians who eat bread with bread. Only fools eat bread so that they can have strength to go to work, and to go to work so that they can have money to eat bread. They are eating bread with bread. Ask them, what do you do? and they instinctively respond with what they do for a living their careers have become an end to in themselves and not just a means to get to the third and ultimate category of man's needs the need for children what is man's greatest need in the physical world it is the need to live forever no one consciously craves immortality we are resigned to the fact that man must return his body to the ground from where it came to be rectified and cleansed before it is reunited with his soul in the world to come But we nevertheless need to feel that our lives have a purpose, that we make our own lasting impact in this world. When man wants to express his unique contribution to the world, he wants to build. He wants his earthly activities to leave behind an edifice that will last forever. His building will be a vibrant testimonial to his lifetime efforts. It will be in a sense, his immortality. But what building lasts forever? Our world is, a, is, is, is in a permanent state of physical and intellectual flux. The constructions, victories, and discoveries of one generation become the statistics and historical footnotes of the next. All, all our toil in this world will be forgotten if not next year, then in a hundred years, in a thousand years. But it will be forgotten. So what can we do to build a truly everlasting building? We build through our children. Parents care more about their children than about themselves. Instinctively, they will give up their lives for their offspring. On the surface, this is an expression of endless parental love. Subconsciously, it is a recognition that their existence is finite. But through their progeny, they live forever. Banim, children, has the same root as Binyan, building. Hazal note... A builder carefully chooses the right material and then skillfully combines them to construct a building the building is endlessly more functional than its original components and similarly in intellectual thought the process of absorbing information and then synthesizing it into an idea or a new level of understanding is called bina and this too has the same root as binyan and banim hazal tell us that we have two other types of children one is our good deeds it's worth noting that when people eulogize the dead, they tend to focus on the good deeds of the, of the departed. At the moment of truth, his high grades at school, his successful career, and his beautiful home have all become irrelevant all that's left are his good deeds intentionally or not the eulogies are invoking the part of the deceased that will live forever on the mystical level everything we do that is told good leaves an indelible imprint in the physical world our good deeds are our creations that will live forever they are our spiritual offspring Another form of children is our students. Through teaching Torah, we transmit a living part of ourselves into future generations. We have a biological children, spiritual children, good deeds, and Talmud Torah children. They are all that we leave behind when we leave this world. They are our true buildings. Everything else, with all great achievements of mankind, are transient. They are an illusion, like a passing shadow, a vanishing cloud, or a fleeting dream. So, we explained that Hashem created women and the role of Adama. The earth was created as a natural foundation and medium for physical building in this world. Binyan is the process of taking ingredients and combining them in such a way that the result is significantly more than the sum of its components. Binyan is at its most potent when the result is a new dimension of life. The earth receives the seeds of grains, fruits, and vegetables. It receives water and fertilizer. It provides nutrients of its own. The ingredients are synthesized and uh, um, amalgamated and then turned into the fabric of life. In parallel, women were created as natural builders, bestowed with the holy task of building the world. On the purely physical level, they emulate Adamah in the creation of life. Intellectually, they are endowed with Bina Yisira, an extra level of Binah. Women have a sophisticated ability to absorb information and then build a new level of understanding. And this gives them, for example, a keen ability to foresee developments and makes us good judges of character. On a practical level, women are the builders of the Jewish home. They use We use our Bina Yisira for the innumerable challenges of child-rearing and running our households. Ultimately, a woman's mission is to build the spirituality of the home. A woman ensures that the spiritual creativity of her husband is given a bias. In modern-day terms, it is the woman who guarantees that the Torah of her husband and sons will endure. Consider the Imahos. Sarah uses her Binah Yisira to remove Ishmael from her home. Rivka keeps Esau at bay. And Rahul and Leah engineer the removal of the house of Yaakov from the clutches of Laban. They thus ensure that the work of the Avos would have a home. Due to the valor of the, imah, the Imahos, the house of Israel is built on the strongest of foundations. The deeper the need, the deeper the prayer. A woman's deepest need is to build, and through building she expresses her essential nature. And the most basic desire of a woman is to build through her own physical self. The need for children, Banim, is at the root of her will for Binyan. Rachel Mainu cries out to Yaakov, give me children, otherwise I'm dead. So without children, I cannot express my deepest self, she's saying. Without children, I have no existence. The order of the letters in the Hebrew Aleph is significant. It is revealing to note that the Hebrew word for mother, aim, is spelled with the letters Aleph and Mem. So if we express each of these letters to the letter that follows it, the Aleph becomes a base. And the men becomes a nun. And together they spell Ben, child. And this is an allusion to the idea that the natural expression of a woman is her children. Deborah, the prophetess, was a woman who led a high-profile life involved with activities that are normally the domain of men. She was a judge and a leader of Cloud Israel during the tumultuous period in Jewish history. It is illuminating to note how she introduces herself in the stirring song of Deborah. I arose a mother in Israel. So despite her distinguished service to her people, her own self-perception was that of a Jewish mother. And above all, what was important to her was that she brought children into the world. So we now have a deeper understanding of what Hazal said where, why were the matriarchs barren? Because Hashem desires the prayers of the Sadiqim. Hashem wanted maximum closest to be his beloved creations, the Imahos. He therefore gave them the maximum need to pray by davening them, denying them their most basic and fundamental need, the need for children. We can now answer the question posed at the end of the last lesson. Why the tafilah of Hana, the paradigm of prayer, is expressed through the anguish of barrenness? and the answer is clear women personify tefila. we are the natural daveners and our deepest need is a need for children it follows then that wazala identified the moment in history which most typifies the act of prayer they chose hannah a broken and dejected woman pouring her heart out to her creator asking for her most basic of needs a child But in fact, the reason why Hazal chose Hannah's tefillah as the archetype of all prayer is much deeper. Why does a mother want a child? We explained that our subconscious motive is our desire for mortality. Women are created as builders and through children, the most personal things a woman can build, she will live forever. So ask any mother, what do you want for your child? And her automatic response will be, I want him to be healthy. So in a sense, she has expressed the motherhood instinct that she shares with animals and birds, the, the, the will to propagate her species. So simply spoken, a mother wants her children to be well enough to have children of their own, thus ensuring her continu- uh, continuity. So most mothers will continue and say, I want a child to be successful. Uh, they want their building to be distinguished. What defines a successful child? And this question separates secular from God-fearing mothers. A mother who defines success in secular terms will, for example, see favorable media coverage as an indication of success. Or perhaps she defines success primarily in terms of a career achievement. She identifies with those foolish Those foolish Babylonians who who eat bread with bread. My son, the lawyer. She becomes her mantra and the illusion that she's built a building to be proud of. A God-fearing mother defines success in terms of spiritual building. After kindling kindling the Shabbat candle, she pours out her heart with the classic prayer. Give me the privilege to raise children and grandchildren who are wise and understanding, who love Hashem and are God-fearing people of truth, with holy offspring who cleave to Hashem and illuminate the world with Torah and with their good deeds. So Torah and good deeds, these are the qualities for which a Jewish mother prays. These are the qualities of building that is truly outstanding. And there's a third answer to the question, what does a mother want for her child? So when we love someone very deeply, it's possible to reach a state of closeness such that the needs of our our loved ones become our own dominant needs. Many, a happily married couple will testify that when they think of what they really want, they naturally think of what will make their spouses happy. So it's not that they have lost their individuality. Rather, this is the nature of love. The needs of their beloved become their own needs. In our relationship with Hashem, it's possible to reach the lofty heights of pure Ahavas Hashem, love of God. So at this point, our needs become exclusive to those needs that are the needs of Hashem. And once again, there is no loss of our individuality. Our own personal needs have been transformed through the power of Ahavas Hashem's, into Hashem's needs. So of course, Hashem has no needs. So when we speak of His need, we mean His ratzon, will, in creating the world, which will find full expression in Ulama Ba, the world to come when he and his name will be one. But in terms of Ulama Ze, this world, the world in which we present live, Hashem wants to perfect a society as described poignantly by the prophets. Central to Hashem's Ratzon is the anointment of Mashiach and the building of the Beit Hamidash and this will create Perpetuous conditions for all mankind to recognize him as the one and only king and the climax of our request in Shemona Esrei We implore Hashem to rebuild the Beit Hamidash and restore the Davidic dynasty the heralds of Mashiach We ask Hashem Uvne Osa Bekarov so you may you rebuild it soon in our days as an everlasting building. Rav Yonason Abishut's comments, It goes without saying that we need to ceaselessly, ceaselessly, ceaselessly shed tears for the building of Jerusalem and the restoration of the horn of David. Because they are the purpose and perfection of mankind. And without them, what reason do we actually have to live? So what does a mother want for her child? If a mother has reached an intense level of Habas Hashem, she wants her own true, her own building to be a building for Hashem. She wants her child to be a part of the process of Binyam Olam, the everlasting building of the perfected world. She wants her child to be a conduit for bringing out the ultimate Hashem. And this is the desire of women who have achieved an unwavering devotion to Hashem. They are capable of turning all the natural prayers of a woman for motherhood into prayers for Binam Olam. And this was the desire of Hannah, who expressed through prayer her desire for children at the highest possible level of devotion to Hashem. Behana he medaberes al liba. And Hannah spoke in on her heart. Hazal explained that Hannah prayed to Hashem concerning the part of her body that is on her heart. The organ used for nursing children. She implored Hashem with the argument, You created me with the faculties to see, to hear, smell, and speak. They are all allowed to function properly. You gave me hands to work with. They are allowed to function properly. Yet on my heart, you gave me the faculties to nurse a child. And you do not allow them to function. Give me a child so I may nurse him. B'tis pallel la Uvaho uva'chok came, and she prayed on Hashem and was filled with tears. How do we understand the literal meaning of the verse that Hannah spoke on? or concerning Hashem. So Hazal explained that Hannah prayed for Hashem's Hashem's needs. She saw that in her generation, there was a complete breakdown in the honor of Hashem. Nobody cared for his house and nobody cared for his kingship. She beseeched Hashem to bring down from heaven a holy neshama that would bring Klael Joel back to repentance and recognition of his house and kingship. If we consider both her prayers and the extra er, extraordinary picture emerges, Hannah prayed powerfully with all the natural maternal instincts of a woman for the merit of using her body to nurse a child. Yet she spontaneously channeled her feelings to the needs of Hashem. Hannah wanted nothing more than to build with her own body, but a child for Hannah was only meaningful if the child would be a building for Hashem and His Ratsom for mankind. Her desire for children and for doing Hashem's will fused into one overwhelming whole. And look what she achieved. On Rosh Hashanah, the day of new beginnings, Hannah gave birth to Shmuel. Shmuel Hanavi, herod of the era of prophets. He brought Cloud Israel to new levels of repentance and commitment to Hashem. He influenced his generation with the combined impact of Moshe and Aaron. However, his crowning achievement was the anointment of Shaul and David as kings of Israel. In doing so, he laid the foundation of Malchut, Royalty in cloud Israel, and this in turn laid the foundation for the dash Shmuel was the cornerstone of the whole process of bringing out the ultimate will of God, the will for Binyan Olam, the everlasting building of a perfected world. We now have a deeper now understanding of why Hazal shows Hannah's Tefila as the paradigm of all prayer. It contains both Tefila in its simplest, pristine form, and Tefila in its most powerful, potent form. A woman, the essence of prayer, as for a child her most basic need and simultaneously in an instinctive natural manner she raises her prayer to the loftiest conceivable heights a prayer for Binyan Olam so every morning we start a day with the morning blessings. Before we embark on our busy daily schedules, we stop and think of the many personal gifts Hashem has sent us. Gifts that we're so accustomed to, that we tend to take them for granted. In 15 short blessings, we identify them and thank Him for them. One of the gifts we thank Hashem for is our gender. A man thanks Hashem, shalom hasani Who has not made me a woman? He focuses on the only genuine genuine benefit he has in being a male. His obligation regarding positive time mount mitzvot. And in the handful of mitzvot that only he is commanded to perform, he celebrates the extra opportunities he has to connect with Hashem. A woman, however, we thank Hashem Sheh Asani Kitsonu, who has made me according to his will. At first glance, it seems like a resigned acceptance of her lesser role, but clearly this is not flow with the message of the Bakat HaShachal, acknowledging the special blessings Hashem has granted each one of us as individuals. So logically, if when a man says Sheh go Isha, he's identifying and appreciating the unique privilege of his gender. And then when a woman says Sheh Asani Kitsonu, she too, must be identifying and appreciating the unique privilege of our gender. So what's exactly is the deeper meaning of this blessing that we as women have proudly said for generations? We have explored at length the role of women as a dama, she We are the earthly dimension in the Shamayim Adek's relationship, which mirrors the male-female relationship. We are an equal partner in the creation of life in both its physical and spiritual expression. Nevertheless, initially it would seem disparaging to be compared to Adama. With all its connotations of earthly physicality and darkness. The earth is a place where Hashem is hidden, and man must face constant trials and challenges to find them. Could there be an actual advantage in being Adama to the extent that women celebrate their role as Adama with a blessing every morning? So Ram Hal reveals the secret of Adama. He explains a fundamental concept in Hashem's design and creation. Listen to this. The deeper plan of God's wisdom was to arrange things so that through man being immersed in the physical world, he can thus attain perfection through his earthly activities. It is precisely through these endeavors that he attains a pure and lofty state so that it is his involvement with physicality that elevates him. So in other words, our desire for self-perfection and spirituality can only be achieved by struggling in the physical world. We overcome temptation. Follow the will of Hashem and thus raise ourselves spiritually and raise the environment with us. In the battlefield called life, the action is right here in the earthly Adama world. Rabbi Haim Bolosner uses his idea to explain the deeper meaning and the unique benefit that the female gender celebrates in the blessing, Shasani Kitsonu. Rav Shlomo Walby explains the blessing, Shasani Kitsonu. Who has made me according to his will? It's not a declaration that a woman has no choice but to accept her lot as the will of God. A David, a blessing. As Rabbi Chaim Golozner explains, the nusak of the blessing is similar to the nusak of a Kaddish, which says, in the world that he created according to his will. The intent in Kaddish is as follows. Indeed, the physical world on its own is devoid of spirituality. Nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that his name should be made great and sanctified specifically in this physical world and similarly the intent and the blessing Shasani Kitsonu is as follows Indeed, the role of the woman is only as the one who received the Hashpaha of the man but HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that the everlasting building of mankind should come specifically through women so a well, woman starts her day. We start our day thanking Hashem for our many gifts. We proudly celebrate our role as women. We are Adama. We excel at mastering the challenges of our physical world. Adama is the earthly location where we struggle and face constant challenge adama is the physical world that mankind was created to elevate adama is the source of all binyan adama is the place of all prayer adama is the place of all connection to hashem and hashem for all this i want to bless you you have made me according to your will baruch adonai leolam amen ve-amen.